It's go time. You're going to have to learn your cliches. You're going to have to study them. You're going to have to know them. Well, you know, you go out there and you give 110% and you want to play good and, you know, you hope you play good. I think we play pretty good tonight. Well, you know, there's no I in the word team, and this is a team effort. Ten, five, touchdown. Oh, man, you know, you just got to play one game at a time and go out there and give 110%. All right! Play ball. Hello, fight fans and sports movie lovers. Thank you for taking the time to download the 103rd chat in the Scoring of the Movies series. Just the two of us have been talking about athletically inclined films for several years, and we always spoil all their blood-soaked secrets with all the bruises. I'm the guy who would never set foot in the octagon and who never thought of using a spray bottle as a booze delivery device before. Genius, Ryan Ellis. And here's the pretty bull who would never bail on his son, especially if that son had a fancy keyboard, Big Christy Gregorio. Yeah, thank you, Ryan. I am one for a big fancy keyboard. I got some bad news for you, though. I might not ever bail on my son, but... Even though I know you used to manage about 10 different podcasts before you agreed to ditch them and start this one with me, I decided to sign on with another podcaster, so... What the fuck? Immaculate James and I are going alone, so... Fuck! (laughs) The fuck? But you accept it. No! Okay, fair enough. Fuck! I don't know if he swears that much, but I'm doing it here. We have an R rating already. (laughs) Well, I was going to tell you, I am going to swear in this podcast, so it's going to go R rated. But I figure... But the amount of blood that this movie has right off the top, ain't nobody that is going to watch this that is going to be offended by a few F-bombs. Watch and or listen. Well, it's also an R-rated movie and a heavy R, a hard R, I should say. Oh, yeah. Because of all the language and the violence. And also a great sex scene. Yeah. Tastily shot by Halle Berry, the director, in her debut. First movie she's ever directed. First thing she's ever directed. TV, whatever. I got thoughts about that. Okay. So yes, you're big and I'm little. I love the fact that Halle Berry at 5'5 five five is thought of as big. And of course, compared to a kid, she is. But compared to most people, she's not. I was grinding my teeth at the end of this movie listening to some of the dialogue. That was one of the elements because there's very little evidence that this young boy, who I think we're told is six, right? Give or take, yeah. yeah that he's mentally challenged in any way. He's clearly gone through some sort of trauma and he's struggling to find a way to communicate. His father dying made him not be able to speak, which is one of those movie things. Does that ever happen in reality? No, but you knew as soon as that was introduced that he wasn't speaking, five minutes into his introduction, everybody in the world should know he's going to speak at the end of the movie. And it's going to be something that we're supposed to go like, oh... I don't know if they're implying that he's meant to be on the spectrum somewhere because he just jumps to the keyboard and he's really intrigued by music, but he won't speak. But he's still at this age making himself food. He's understanding everything everyone is telling to him. She jumps from speaking to him perfectly normally. I owe you a lot of explanations. and She does. But big protect little. Little stay with big. (laughs) What is this? At one moment, you're treating him like an American tourist trying to speak to somebody in like another country where they're speaking very slowly and loudly and then going back to just normal mode of speech. It was one of the many things in this movie that grated on me by the end of it. Well, I'll set it up here. Before I do, though, I see you're about to take a drink of your tea. You're still doing the tea thing. The green tea, baby. You're going to be in the octagon sometime soon, the MMA cage, so you better be in shape while I'm drinking 
CCN diet because yeah, that's af- what I do. After we record this tonight, I'm just going to swing by the old Lionheart style underground MMA fight club and maybe get a few reps in. So, you know, I got to be hydrated and on my game for that. Beat the shit out of a werewolf. <laughs> that's her name. The woman that, that her name? Halle Berry abuses beats the living shit out of. The only fight she wins in this. I'll give the nutshell right now before I actually introduce the movie because that fits yeah. in. So, bruised in a nutshell... Often abused badass loses twice in the same movie. Unlike, say, Rounders or Rocky, where they win once and lose once, in the two big clashes, there's a win and there's a loss. There are probably plenty of sports movies that are like this one, bruised, but she loses and then runs away. That's why she loses, because she gets disqualified for running out of the octagon, despite being 10-0 and going into that fight. And then later on, we find out it's because of her son. She tells, I'll say Bobby probably, but Budokan, same person. Sheila Atim, Atim, I should look up how you pronounce her name, but she's new to me and she's very good actually. So if I say Bobby, that's because I feel like she said to the kid, you can call me Bobby. Maybe it was to Halle Berry's character. Anyway, so she loses at the beginning by being disqualified. Then she loses at the end, but gets the great respect from everybody, including from her opponent, the killer, lady killer. That's a lady killer, which is a nice moment, but it's unusual in sports movies to lose twice, but she does. We talk a lot in the podcast about movie tropes and treading the same ground over and over and over. And it's funny to me that your nutshell was something that is, I guess, a little bit unique about this movie in that we only see her be beaten. Except against Werewolf in an unsanctioned underground fight, fight club style, beats the shit out of this woman who looked like she'd beat the shit out of her. Yeah, exactly. So in a way, she's one and two in this movie, but officially she's oh and two. There's an asterisk next to that one. I'm going to compare this to the Rocky franchise over and over and over, I'm sure, because as I'm watching it, her loss to Chavez at the end by split decision, I'm like, oh, that's Rocky 1. Oh, they're chanting her name at the end. That's Rocky 4. Oh, she got beaten Mm -hmm. into a terrified pulp, and now she's trying to come back and regain her confidence. That's Rocky (laughs) 3. Training montage. All the Rockies. Mm -hmm. And it struck me as just movie trope after movie trope. Not necessarily always sports movie trope, but a lot of movie tropes. Like we already talked about her son being the kid who won't speak until, for some reason, watching her get the tar kicked out of her at the end of the movie inspired him to speak, even though she lost. And what does he say? His one line? I don't even remember. Thank you, Big, for tying his shoes. Didn't he put on his own shoes at the apartment before they left? Probably. Anyway. He's got to do something. She's got to do something. (laughs) Thank you, thank her for it, I guess. The worst part about this movie is probably the screenplay. And the first ever oh, screenplay yeah. by Michelle Rosenfarb, who's only ever had a writing credit on one other thing. It was a short 10 years, over 10 years ago. And Halle Berry's new to directing. Did she ever hear of a tripod? I've complained about this kind of thing before. I don't know what this is with the immediacy in these kinds of films. Yes, fine. But you know the great example of this? commentary on t2 talks about this the scene where sarah connor is talking to the doctor about i want to see my son i'm better now it's gonna be okay dead still shot and then when she flips out i'll fucking kill you we're all gonna die in a nuclear apocalypse then the camera's handheld and moving but in a movie like this did we ever see a tripod once and if we do it is not often the cinematography all of that element i was not really feeling it though in fairness i wasn't sure if that was just me or really more objectively a thing that might be considered a flaw in the movie, because this was also, I realized halfway through, not the kind of movie I was really in the mood for right now, because it's so grim dark for like 99% of it, effectively. I feel like maybe that's just rookie director syndrome, where she's trying to be really 
gritty and like you said immediate about things but not really understanding that that could be used more effectively if it was used a little more subtly maybe mm, and sparingly and, and sparingly exactly and if you want to do it during the fight sequences of which there were surprisingly few in this movie for a movie that is called bruised i was expecting it to be a little bit more warrior-esque in the amount of mma we got there's more training than fighting but that's rocky-esque Yeah, but even the training, I would argue, is not Rocky-esque because in the Rocky movies, we certainly get our share of montages, which we do get in this movie as well. But the thing I always appreciated about the Rocky movies is you understand what the training objectives are and why he's doing what he's doing, whether it's Mick telling him he's going to be a greasy, fast Italian tank Mm -hmm. or something, right? One of my favorite lines from Rocky Balboa, let's build some hurting bombs. How are you going to beat your opponent? This is how we're going to train you to do it. And now let's see the montage. We never get any of that in this. We get no explanation about what her training is for this match. We just see instances of her practicing some MMA moves, some running. Why are you doing it? What's your specialty? They talk in the final match about how she's going to have to get her opponent into a grapple. Yeah, she's more of a takedown mma or than she is a striker, I guess. But I think that's one of the flaws of this movie. If you're going to want us to care that much about the final fight, and in fact, if you're going to want us to watch that entire fight second for second, because it's the entire thing. Yeah, there's a lot at the end of fighting. That's the thing. This movie builds up to seeing the fighting at the very end. We see a ton of it in the big match at the end. Yeah, but I wasn't in a headspace to really care about it at that point because I had no buildup. We saw her right at the opening of the movie run away for fear after getting her ass handed her, for lack of a better term. And we see that brief street fight, but then no fighting. And then a very long fight. It was just a little disorienting to me because it felt jarring versus the previous hour and a half, which was effectively like a family drama almost. You're describing the first Rocky movie. This may not achieve the same things, but that's what the first Rocky movie did. You're absolutely right. And this is one of the reasons why I said I'm going to reference Rocky a lot. Because to me, this movie tries to grab a lot of different tropes and just doesn't do them as well. That final fight, I really would have loved it if I understood, okay, her opponent is a striker. And Justice is going to have to beat her with the grapple game. And I think you can set that up pretty easily if you just have a few scenes with Bobby and Justice in the gym saying, you're not as strong or fast as you once were, so we're going to figure out how to use your judo skills to nullify her advantage. It doesn't take much, but then at least when we're watching the fight, we understand a little bit better what Justice's objective is going to have to be in order to come out on top in this underdog fight, right? Rather than just, she's fighting, let's see what happens now, right? I think the screenplay is the worst thing about the major elements of this movie when you talk about acting, directing, the overall production, the look of it, that kind of thing. Not that I want to shit on Rosenfarb's script, being a newbie and all, yeah. but I don't think it's a great screenplay and it is so rote of other things we've seen before. We've been talking about that a lot lately with the movies we've covered. It's true. Angels in the Outfield. That was 1951. It may not have been quite a trope type of movie because not that many sports movies have been made. Right. So that may not be entirely Secretariat, fair. You but Secretariat, it did. If that had been made 20 years earlier, I said that in the podcast two weeks ago, that may have been the blockbuster that Seabiscuit became. Seabiscuit more on home video yep. in total. But Seabiscuit beat it to the punch, and then Secretariat is a very solid movie, but we've seen this kind of thing so many times by 2010, and we've seen them even more now by 2021 when this movie came out. Exactly, yeah. You know what the other problem is? To get back to what you just said about setting up what the two big fighters are doing, the two main fighters are doing, Julie Kedsey is the woman sports commentator number two, and Eves Edwards is sports commentator number one. I'm not sure about him, but I read online that Julie Kedsey really does this for a living. She does commentate MMA. We're not MMA people. We've admitted that in other MMA podcasts, including Warrior, Enter the Dragon, 
and Lionheart. Okay, one of those actually was MMA. <laughs> now we've got two out of the four that are truly MMA. But okay, we jam those other ones into that category. I don't think she's good at this, in this movie at least. What she says in the end, the climax, and him too, but he's also supposed to just talk about the action. He's not very good either. She added nothing. And if she had been saying things about how Lady Killer's a striker, Jackie Justice is more of a grappler, got to get her down. Okay, I think we get that as that fight plays out. But I don't think she offers anything. It almost seemed like she was just an actress playing this. I thought she sounded like she had never even heard of MMA before, but they cast her because she was Halle Berry's friend or something. But I look it up online here, and apparently she actually does this for a living. I agree with you. I don't think either one of them was particularly great in what they were asked to do for the fight. Though I have to give her some credit because she did say right at the beginning of the fight that Justice would have to grapple Lady Killer in order to win. But again, I just had no previous knowledge about any of Justice's fighting style to substantiate that, so I just wish I had a little bit more background. And I would say that the Eves guy, I thought he did a better job, and he even offered a few things. Like between, I think, round two and three, he talked about how Lady Killer was pummeling Justice with leg strikes to the hamstrings. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you know, people say that you don't win a fight with leg strikes, but anyone that says this has never been kicked in the legs. If right? you can't stand, you can't fight. That's the kind of commentary you want. But I agree with you with the second announcer, because she was more of a color commentator, right? She's meant to fill in the gaps, give you some context to what's going on, explain what the strategies are, exactly what you were asking for. I don't think she did that at all. I agree with you. It would be interesting maybe to try to find her commentating real fights, because in this, she's given a script, she's told what to say, presumably, and she has to try to say it believably, and she didn't really pull that off. If you're experienced in the sport and you're just being asked to describe what's happening or give context to it, and you're excited and you're into it, maybe just flows more naturally. So in that environment, maybe she's actually a pretty good commentator in a real life situation. Rather than take one, take two, take three. Certainly, I would be the first person to admit that I'm no expert at UFC. I've seen the odd fight. I appreciate the fact that Lady Killer was a real MMA fighter. She was. But one of the things that that raised for me as a viewer was just how much Halle Berry wasn't. And it's less obvious to me when they're grappling because, again, I think you really have to be a fan of MMA to appreciate the subtleties of grappling. But when it comes to striking, you see Lady Killer throw some punches or kicks. And even in a film shoot where I'm sure she's pulling it. She has to. She has to. You can see the speed and the power behind the movements. She's just so practiced at them. And then by contrast, whenever Halle Berry was going in for a high leg kick or something, it was just so slow. I had a hard time believing that any MMA fighter of any practiced capability would fall for that, would absorb the blow and not dodge out of the way. Or block it. There's like a quality of power and speed and menace to somebody that knows the motions of striking. Right. I certainly don't have it. Don't get me wrong, but you can see it. I actually thought that the fighting was pretty well done. Obviously, we got a pro against Halle Berry in the big match. That's going to help. Yeah, it wasn't bad. And like I said, I enjoyed the grappling stuff a lot more when they were striking each other and stuff, especially early on. It took me out of it a little bit. Why is Lady Killer taking any blows? Okay, fair enough. Yeah. I was reading online that Halle Berry had actually cast somebody else. I should have wrote her name down. I didn't do that. To play the main character. But she said, or maybe it was the opponent. No, it was the main character to play Jackie Justice. Anyway, she was going to be in the movie, this other person, this actual MMA fighter. But then Barry said something about how She couldn't be in a real MMA fight for a while because of insurance purposes. And then she must have rebuffed a fight from them and then they turfed her or something. But we want real MMA fighters. So it's this vicious circle of, but I'm not an MMA because I listen to you, but you want MMA fighters to be in your movie. Mm, And I'm guessing what I was reading online, if that's all true, then it must be that Halle Berry wanted the role in the first place and used this woman as leverage and then just 
do it, <laughs> which may not be true, but it seems like it's very possible, which is funny, sure. too, because Halle Berry, I think, was going to direct the movie. No, she wasn't. It was somebody else that would have directed it. But Blake Lively was supposed to be the star of this. I don't know about that. I like Blake Lively fine. I just struggled to see her in this role. Well, Younger would have helped, although I thought Halle Berry, for somebody who's going to be 56 in August, was pretty she believable. She's going to be 56 this year, so they probably shot it when wow. she was 54-ish. But even if she's 50, whatever age she was when they shot this movie... Was it believable fighting? I thought it was better than you did, I guess, but I really don't have a tremendous frame of reference. I think we've done four of these now. Warrior, I mentioned Enter the Dragon, and Lionheart. So Warrior is really the only other one that's a bona fide yeah. in the Octagon movie that way. And Joel Edgerton and Tom Hardy, I thought, were quite believable in their big fight against each other. We see Kurt Angle, an actual wrestler. But we thought the action in that movie was very good and a very solid film, a very popular film online. I thought Bruise wasn't that far behind Warrior, but maybe you think it was. But it's interesting to think that the lead character if what i was reading online is true would have been an actual mma fighter but then can that woman act because this movie's far more about domestic stuff it's a raging bull movie i know you don't like raging bull there's not that much boxing in raging bull it's mostly about domestic problems domestic abuse problems and i think in those scenes halle berry shines this may be one of the best things that she's done in a very long time i heard just earlier today somebody talking about moonfall was out earlier this year. It's a really terrible sci-fi movie. She's not good in that movie. Patrick Wilson's not good in that movie. But the conversation with these people was all about how, has she ever been good in anything other than Monster's Ball? That's unfair. That is unfair. But she's been in a lot of terrible movies. Has she always been terrible in those movies? I don't think so. And in this one, whether you like it or not, I think she's actually pretty convincing most of the time in the domestic scenes. I guess you don't agree. Really? You're smiling at me. I, I think it's not. some of the best work she's done in quite a while because she's been in a lot of mediocre films. She's not one of those people that's going to just be great in a movie regardless or raise a movie up or have the charisma. She's got charisma, but have the charisma of a Nicolas Cage to make the role more memorable. She's done so much unmemorable stuff. But I think directing herself and considering she had to do that too for the first time in her mid-50s now, that it's believable enough. And let's not forget, too, that it was only a couple of years ago she did John Wick 3 in a badass role. Not MMA, yeah. but a very action-filled role. Had a lot of long takes. She had to learn a lot of those things that Keanu had to learn for all three films. Yeah, she was fine in that. And one of the producers on this actually was Chad Stahelski, who worked on the John Wick films. Yeah. There are 23 producers on this movie, including Barry and Stahelski, who's a stunt coordinator and directed those three John Wick films. She's by far... A mile away, the biggest star in this movie. Yes. That is pretty rare. Most movies we've covered, unless it's a documentary, there are a few actors. Sometimes it's a matter of, okay, 10 years later, they became a name or a star or something. But other than Halle Berry, and the movie's not even a year old, so maybe this is part of it, but she's the only person that most people would ever recognize by face or by name. Oh, yeah, 100%. This is a cast full of no names. Yeah, I didn't really care for her performance. To me, it just felt, look at how hard I'm acting. I'm acting so hard. So Tom Cruise then. Yeah. Part of what I always struggle with watching anybody's performance is how much do I actually care about this person's character that they're portraying? So you didn't then? I didn't care at all. Okay. And if I don't care about what they're trying to portray on the screen, then it just comes across to me as performative. They're performers, but I don't think if you're portraying a character on screen, you want it to come across as performative. You want it to not. be a natural portrayal. They talk about that all the time when they talk about their performing in movies. Actors do. So oh, yeah? you're right. Oh, oh yeah. God, yes naturalistic, man. Got to feel like I am the oh, character. Yeah. I was the character. I lived as the character. Well, all of that means they don't want you to see the strings. Yeah, exactly. And to me, that's more or less all I saw. I kind of expected it to be more a warrior-esque kind of vibe to the movie, which is not a happy-go-lucky movie by any stretch, but it's more a gritty sport movie with some family elements wrapped in. And then this, like you said, is much more Raging Bull-esque, all about domestic abuse. 
the biggest issue for me just buying into Halle Berry's performance was the overwhelmingly heavy-handed quantities of issues that this woman had in her life. If I've learned anything from the movies we've watched is that you don't need to have an insurmountable mountain of problems for your hero to overcome in order for an audience to root for them. And here's one of my other Rocky examples, Rocky Three. This is a man that has fame, fortune, family, basically everything you could But no want, confidence. But no confidence. I'm not saying that the performances in Rocky are better than the performance that Halle Berry puts up in this movie. I think they're also kind of heavy-handed and ridiculous, but Rocky Three is a heavy-handed and ridiculous movie, so mm-hmm. it fits a little bit better than something like this to me. But in that movie, all you're hoping for is for Rocky to get his confidence back and get the title back. That's it. There's no huge life stakes involved. In this movie, we're introduced to Halle Berry, who has no career because she ran away. Mm-hmm. She's facing potentially a lawsuit because she beats the snot out of the peeping Tom kid. <laughs> For some reason, the kid is recording you changing and refusing to give you the phone. I mean, he's being a snot. And he's not like a young kid. He looked like he was 14 or 15 years old. But she didn't beat the hell out of him. She tripped him up so she could take his phone and then smash the phone. And then smash the phone. So it's not like she pummeled him into submission like the underground street fight or anything. We don't see the rich mother who wonders why she's bailing. Jackie, what's wrong? Yeah. We don't see whatever the reaction may have been weeks or months later. And she says, you're recording me again? So presumably this has happened a number of times. Okay, yeah. So you've got the failed MMA career, her shattered confidence. She loses her only job as a nanny. We're introduced to her domestically abusive boyfriend who we're told also contributed to the failure of her career. Then there's that scene that I freaking hate in every movie where you've got a violent and abusive relationship that falls into passionate lovemaking. That was an intense little sex scene. I hate that that's a portrayal that we see on screen because it's subtly conveying the message that it's okay if you beat each other up and you threaten violence and you punch holes in the walls as long as you just fall into bed afterwards all is well. Have a quick fuck, yeah. And I appreciate that later, far later than she should have, she does break up with him but I still hate that messaging. We see her in the underground fight where she snaps and beats the ever-loving tar of that woman. We just keep piling on. We get back to her house and we find out, oh, she has a kid she had abandoned from another past relationship. Okay. Four years, too. I think it was six. Okay, they say four years had passed. So anyway, most of this kid's life in any case. Well, the kid wonders at one point. Well, he doesn't wonder because he's never seen anything. But it's all about did the father say I died? And he nods. Yeah. So he didn't know Jackie was even alive all this time anyway. Exactly. We've already found out, by the way, at this point, that Justice is an alcoholic. She's putting alcohol in the spray bottle for some reason. But I do hate... Trainwreck does this, too. The Amy Schumer movie from several years ago. Yeah. I'm sure lots of movies have done it, but I always think of Trainwreck. I'm not going to drink anymore, so let's pour it down the sink. Can you give it to somebody? It is a waste. That's alcohol abuse. Let someone else have it. Speaking of that, actually, do we ever actually see her get well and truly drunk? I don't think so. But if she takes a spray bottle with booze in, I'm guessing the logic is that when she goes to clean these houses that she's doing that through the day. So she's got an actual spray bottle for the Windex of the windows and the mirrors and things. But then when she wants to have a little squirt to keep herself lubricated through the day, that's what she's doing. Take a flask. Do not mix them up. No, don't mix them up. Unless you're Donald Trump and you want some bleach in your veins to clear (laughs) the COVID, then that's fine. But just take a flask. Put a flask in your pocket. What's the big deal? We've got all these problems thus far. Then we meet the mother, and the mother also is an alcoholic because we see her just behave like a total lush a few times. Then, I've got a date. Don't bring him home. Why not? Well, because your last boyfriend raped me when I was a kid. What the hell, movie? And this isn't one time. This is many times. She suggests the uncle did it, too, meaning the mother's brother. I paid the rent for you. No, I paid the rent with my mouth and my hands and my other private part. I'm like, good Lord, movie. And then that is never addressed again. After that scene, nothing. 
There's no denouement with the mother about it. There's no come to. I was torn on that because I knew there had to be three things at the end. I've never seen this movie before. Neither do you have you. It's only been out. Three things at the end. I'll get to that in a second. Okay. The movie only came out in November of last year, so 2021. We thought, let's do a movie we don't know anything about. We'll get a woman director again. It's been a little while. We'll get a black woman director. And Halle Berry, if she's going to do a movie like this, it must be fairly believable. I wouldn't think she would do a movie where she'd be a complete joke. We've seen her once before on The Last Boy Scout. She has a small role in that. We jammed that into being a football movie. And we'll do the program, the program. We'll probably do that one of these days. You were torn about the revelation of her childhood rape trauma. Right. That's been in so many films. It's like having a bad guy in a movie, whether it be a serial killer or something, and they always had a tough childhood, which is probably true. I'm sure that tracks. Yeah. But even though I didn't like the movie 8mm, I did like the moment towards the end when Nicolas Cage tracks the guy down who was the killer in all the snuff videos. And the guy says, I didn't have a bad childhood. I live with my mother right now. Everything's That's fine. Right. I do it because I like it. That's right. I don't like that he does that, but I like that it wasn't another example of how, yeah, somebody diddled my dick when I was five, and then they raped me when I was 10, and they beat me my whole life. Because we've seen that over and over and over. And yes, we see it again here too. That's also reality. That's probably something that has happened to people way more often in reality than we ever want to believe it has. But how many times are we going to see that in a film? So at least an 8mm was different. So I knew three revelations had to happen. Never having seen the movie before, I didn't know where it was going to go. But I knew that we had to have reconciliation with Manny, which is, yeah. thank you, Big, at the very end. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There had to be some kind of reconciliation with Bobby slash Budokan, and there is. Yes. And there had to be reconciliation or some kind of dealing with her mother. But there isn't really. No, there isn't. She goes to see her to take Manny, but she doesn't have a big war with her. There's no bad words. She doesn't abuse her or anything like that. But once I finished watching the movie, I looked on Wikipedia's description of the movie just to make sure I didn't miss anything important. And they talk about how there's a moment or something like that. And I didn't really see that. I thought the movie left it open as if to say she's not furious with her mother. She hasn't forgiven her. I know but that feels is. realistic. People might do that. The priority right now is for me to take Manny and then maybe I'll deal with you later is not said. Maybe that's the implication. So that's what I liked is that it wasn't a look of a nod. Yeah, we're cool. Because why would it be cool? They had a big fight about this. And she's mad at her mother and she has been for decades, obviously. But the mother also stepped up and took care of this kid. So there's a lot of levels to that. That's why I liked it, is that it wasn't settled. It wasn't a matter of, well, fuck you, mom. Nor was it, yeah, mom, it's cool. I know what the movie's trying to do at the end. Justice shows up after the triumphant loss. The mother tells Manny to put his shoes on. Apparently, Justice's mother had taken Manny from her. Again, none of that made any sense to me either. She's not the legal guardian of this kid. She can't just take him away. Mm. Frankly, Justice probably isn't the legal guardian anymore either because she abandoned the kid four to six years ago. So I'm sure the father had... But she is still the mother. So yeah, Jackie may be unfit as her mother says about her, but she's still the mother. That aside though, Jackie's mother tells the kid, put your coat on, put your shoes on. And then you see the hands coming together as they walk away. And I think that the movie wants us to say, okay, well... The mother now believes that Jackie has turned the corner because I guess she didn't run out of the ring this time. And so she's now a fit mother. So there's that level of reconciliation without, like you said, the complete reparation of the relationship, which if they had tried to do that at the end of the movie would have felt totally forced and unbelievable. I agree. Where I struggle with this is why are all of these layers needed for this movie? They're not. There's too much stuff in this movie. There's too much. It's unfocused. And to me, if you never bring up the childhood sexual assault element of it because that only pops up in that one scene, that one fight that lasts for a few minutes and never mentioned again, never before, never again. If you get rid of the abusive boyfriend element of this movie and Jackie is now just somebody who is living on her own, she's got an alcohol issue, 
and then her mother shows up with this kid. You can have some surrogate characters pop up that lead her to the underground fight if you want, or serve whatever necessary purpose that ex-boyfriend had in the plot, which wasn't much. I would maybe make an argument for getting rid of the romantic subplot element of it as well, because that doesn't really go much of anywhere. With her in Budokan? Yeah. Nice sex scene and all, but... It was hot. I would have actually quite preferred it if it just remained a professional friendship kind of thing, because... That's what it felt like it was the entire movie, and then you have one moment where they become romantically involved, and then Bobby gets her ass handed to her, and then you have like a hug at the end of the movie. But it felt like something like, well, we need to have some sort of romantic reconciliation scene for Jackie in here, so let's do this. The more movies I see, especially the more movies we break down for this podcast, the more I'm convinced that you as a filmmaker, more often than not, are going to be better served by picking some traits, some backstory for your character some very discreet and restrained choices streamline it and build them out make us care about that element of this person and this element of their life give it room to breathe it doesn't have to be belabored all the time and i do think this movie does some things well in shorthand like the drinking thing as silly as the spray bottle was it very accurately conveyed very quickly that oh yeah she's got a drinking problem and she drinks on the job but there's just too much stuff Let's throw everything at the wall and see what sticks. And to me, none of it stuck because I never really learned enough about any of these elements to care all that much by the time we get to the fight. I think maybe one reason why the backstory with her bad childhood, meaning Jackie being abused, does make some sense and is shorthanded a little bit. You've had a problem with the way that filmmakers have done that. And I generally have been accepting of it because I'd rather that than some big long... And she does confront her about it. Do people really do that in reality? Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. But it does probably answer why somebody who had it together to be enough of a good fighter to be 10-0, and 0, she wasn't ready to face this tough opponent in the past, years before when she ran away, but she was that good, she maybe could have gotten to that point. And yet she runs away and then bails on her kid and is living with her manager, who's also her boyfriend, and is this not even really Rocky loser. Rocky didn't run away. Rocky's trying to build a career, but can't because he has no management and he's taking on these soup cans. That's a word that's used in this movie, not soup can in this case, yeah. but just can. Just can, yeah. That was good. She's supposed to be a setup. Immaculate makes her be a setup for Lady Killer at the end, but then she actually, of course, has to rally and actually be good because otherwise there's yeah. no real movie, I guess. But having the abusive backstory is probably underpinning why she would be such a failure because I could see her running away from a fight. Well, I really can't actually. Somebody who's that tough and committed <laughs> and devoted probably doesn't run away. She'd probably just take the lumps almost like Raging Bull, which you hate so much, but you never got me down, Ray. I yeah. never went down, Ray. Jake's going to take the abuse because he's been bad to his family. That's always the subtext of that movie. I abuse people. My brother and my wife can never hurt me, but the boxers can. So I will take an absolute shit kicking when I'm going to lose this fight on points anyway. I'll be bloody and bruised and maybe even really fucked up forever. He isn't, but he could be. Yeah. And that's always the subtext of Raging Bull. You could argue that's what's going on here with Jackie Justice. I'm messed up because of things that happened to me that my mother allowed to happen, whether she knew it or not. And maybe Jackie doesn't believe that she was oblivious. That's why she can't get her life together when she should. No, you don't believe it. But no, I don't buy it. And also, despite the fact she is banged up in this movie constantly, she's bruised constantly. She's still Halle Berry. Yeah, when you don't have any real talents beyond fighting, you're probably not going to go anywhere. But you would think that somebody would see her on the streets of New Jersey and say, want to be a model? You're not wrong there. And they do make efforts to make her less attractive. Her black eye lasts a long time. It does. The reason I don't buy that is because I don't necessarily see a one-to-one connection between childhood rape and that kind of trauma and what this movie shows us Jackie doing as an adult. I don't think... I agree, but movies do. 
I know. I just... Over and over and over. Whether or not movies do over and over, I'm going to continue to say movie, you're doing a bad job of that. But I also think for the character, it's needful that Jackie has some sort of childhood trauma and something in her past that is haunting her because what we see with her relationship with her son, what we see with her reaction to that last UFC fight, there needs to be some quickly explained rationale for it. For me, though, I just think you can achieve that by saying Jackie's mom, Angel, single mother, raised her on her own, but Angel was an alcoholic and maybe she was neglectful and maybe she had a parade of men coming through the house. She did that. That's for sure. Yeah. I think you can very easily argue that that is a broken childhood upbringing and that can affect your ability to confidently parent your own child as an adult if that was your experience growing up. And I would buy that. The rest of it is added for shock value and just to make it seem like, oh, look at this gritty piece we're putting together here. It doesn't feel needful. The movie really stacks the deck with the things that she had to overcome in her whole life. Yeah. And I think you actually mentioned something very important to me. The movie felt like Jackie had to run away out of the octagon. And I know that later on she's talking to Bobby about, I've always been running away. And her mother looks down at her because she runs away. How do you explain that out of the blue for somebody that we have no familiarity with? And again, to use the Rocky Three analogy, Rocky, much like Raging Bull, he takes his lumps. He gets mm-hmm. the snot kicked out of him. He doesn't run away. He, of course, he wouldn't. That's not his character. You know that in the back of his mind, this is a man that has known nothing but success in recent years and just got the tar kicked out of him. And that's a scary thing because he hasn't experienced that for a long, long time. Jackie was a 10-0 and fighter going into this fight. A fight that, admittedly, she wasn't prepared for. But I still find it very hard to swallow that she would be so terrified in that moment that she would up and run out of the ring. Get her ass beat, sure. Mm -hmm. See the panicked lack of understanding. Get in a weak submission and immediately tap out. Yeah, exactly. And I think the running away thing, for that to make sense, we need to know a lot more about her mindset going into the fight. And we can't because the movie opens on the fight. Maybe it shouldn't open with that. Maybe it should be about her being a maid and we find out with flashbacks, maybe even like flashes. Yes. Maybe it's a matter of, what's that? What's that? Why is she running out of this ring as we learn that she was an MMA fighter? Maybe that would have been a better move. I like that a lot more, actually, because you can still run away from your responsibility, from your career, from your family, from everybody you know, without literally running away out mm. of the octagon. It also makes more sense the way that people treat her later on. There's a few times in this movie where she's recognized. And it's like, do you know who that is? That's Jackie Justice. She was an incredible fighter. I don't think you have that reaction. And I find it hard to swallow that the crowd would have had the reaction in the climactic fight of the movie, given the events of the first fight with her just running away. If she gets beaten down and she can never bring herself to fight again, I think that's a more approachable, understandable, empathetic story for somebody to come back from that and overcome whatever it is they're overcoming versus literally fleeing the sport. Does that the, make sense? There's a story to be told there, though. So I can see a crowd reacting when somebody takes an ass kicking against a much better fighter and only loses by decision. I think I can understand that storyline. I think that's going for the Rocky thing. It's an understandable storyline. It's the most cliche storyline you can have for something like boxing, like MMA, right? Is the you go to the bell and you just barely lose by a split decision. Yeah. It's the crowd gives you the center stage and the killer is such a cool person. There you go. I'll stand back. I'll applaud you too, which is a nice gesture. But did you notice the Drago turn that Lady Killer took in this too? First bell, she's talking to her trainer. She goes, why did not that bitch go down mm. or whatever? And then by the end, she's like, good fight. For me. <laughs> For me. Yonibios. 
Yoni Bios! That's right. I don't know if that's what he says in Rocky Four. That's what I've always heard. The critics are with you. Rotten Tomatoes, 51% of critics on Rotten Tomatoes, which isn't a far cry from a fresh tomato, but it's not a fresh tomato. Yeah. 5.7 out of 10 was the average. 89 reviews are on the site and 55% of audiences. But it did win some awards. Sheila Atim, she shared the Toronto International Film Festival's Rising Stars Award with four or three, it's just three other actresses, so last year. And the movie won Image and Black Reel Awards for various people, a song that's in the, I think it's the end credits, Halle Berry won some awards. The movie wasn't overlooked for that kind of stuff. No Oscar nominations, but it did get some recognition. And the Rotten Tomatoes numbers aren't terrible. It's known as Pubijana. It might be Pubijana in Poland. (laughs) P-O-O-B-I-J-A-N-A. Netflix never, or at least rarely, released box office numbers. We don't know if it did well or not. The title of the movie felt pretty apropos to me by about the... 70 or 80 minute mark i just felt emotionally bruised because Mm. every time i felt like okay i've got a grasp on what's going on now oh nope there's another trauma at a certain point let's turn the corner and start getting towards the redemption arc which doesn't really happen for 90 95 minutes in this movie it was just a little bit too grim dark for me for what the movie i thought it was going to be and maybe that's my own failing as a viewer if you weren't the right headspace that's a big factor i think it's one reason why i didn't like some of the movies I've seen over the years that I came to like later on, whether it be 20, 30 years ago I saw them and then later liked them, or something I might have seen two years ago that I will see and think, oh, what was I talking about? That movie was great, or it might have been bad, but I shit on that movie, and I shouldn't have. Maybe I was in a bad space. Maybe I saw it when I was in a bad mood or not really fully paying attention. Maybe that's what it was for you with this movie, but let me ask you a few questions to see what you think of these individual moments. Yep. When Desi breaks Manny's keyboard, of course, he had punched Jackie. That's terrible, but I'm going to gloss that over because we've seen that over and over and over in movies. The reason I want to bring this up, though, is I wonder if Jackie, and of course Halle Berry's directing herself here, was she more upset that Desi broke the kid's keyboard than that he hit her? I think the movie wants you to believe that. I think part of my struggle with believing that she was more upset with the keyboard breaking than with the domestic abuse were not really given enough time to breathe with Manny and Jackie's new relationship yet. By that point in the movie, we don't get a lot of Manny and Jackie time. We don't get a lot of her coming to grips with her newly regained role as mom to this kid. If that moment had happened a little bit later in the movie, it might have been much more effective because it was one of those things where I was watching and I'm like, I see what you're going for here. I wasn't quite there yet. Because she ends up obviously with Desi for a big chunk of the first part of the movie. Yes. Then she's at Angel's, her mom. Then she ends up at Budokan's place. What did you think about that? I thought it was effective. That's why I bring it up. I okay. think that that's the point, is that this woman who's been undoubtedly hit by Desi before, we don't really see it. The argument scene that leads to them having a quickie in the kitchen, I thought he was going to hit her, but he didn't. That I recall, anyway. Elbowed holes in the wall next to her head, kind of implying, like, you want one of these, you want one of these. Right, and that's that. not cool, but he didn't actually hit her. But right. then he does later on in the keyboard breaking yes. scene. So I think the point being that you can hit me, you've done it before, I can get past that, I've been hit by a lot of people, which is not cool. People can analyze this kind of thing in movies or portrayals of movies, and a lot of people might say that that's a bridge too far, but it's also a movie that Halle Berry is trying to make real that does happen. Mm -hmm. So I think the logic is that as bad as it is that I got hit, but it's happened before, don't hurt him. And he didn't hit him, but he hit his thing. Oh, I see He broke his stuff. He broke something that mattered to that kid. 
Jackie was starting to realize that that mattered to him just how much with the just the two of us video that she oh sees with the father. Sorry, I think I slightly misinterpreted what you were asking me. So I think from like an emotional weight perspective of Jackie's connection to Manny, maybe I wasn't quite there yet with the movie, but I do 100% agree with you that it did effectively convey you've hit me before, you'll hit me again, whatever, just leave the kid alone. I think that was effective in that That's scene. why I'm going to leave. That I would buy 100%. And so the way you describe it, yeah, I think it worked. And people might say, she should have left him for getting hit herself. Fine, that's you. This woman apparently could take it. That's what Halle Berry, the director of this movie and the star of it, is putting on screen. I think that's actually, in that scene, pretty good filmmaking. I would agree with that. I know you have some other scenes you were going to list there, but before you do, just because you mentioned that just the two of us moment, I, Just the two of us. I legit we can make started we laughing try. when that happened. I don't think the movie wanted me to laugh, but when she's walking down the street and that starts playing and you can see the tearful look in her eyes as she's thinking about her and her son. Mm. Oh, no. They both on. cried, don't they? Oh, it's so heavy handed. Just like shortly after we're introduced to Manny and the fact that he doesn't speak, he discovers that keyboard. And in the background, you start hearing Hallelujah playing. I think the movie's trying to tell us that maybe he's on the spectrum or something. And that's why he connects so readily with music when he's struggling to speak. But... It just felt like the movie was trying to say, hallelujah, he's found his medium, he's found his outlet. What were the other scenes you had? Well, the whole development with Budokan. So we find out that she is a lesbian because she talks about having a kid, but then we find out, oh, my wife. And that's just sloughed off. It's not one of those things. And maybe a movie 10, 15, 20 years ago would have said, my wife has my kid. No, it's just she says the word. Budokan can be a lesbian, but why does she have to be attracted to, well, I can say why she's attracted to Halle Berry's character. What I didn't buy, even though I think that sex scene is the best one we've seen in 103 episodes. Yeah. But I didn't buy that Jackie would go with it because Jackie doesn't appear to be a lesbian. Now, maybe the logic is here's somebody who's treating me well. I think that's it. And it's an actual making love. It's not, and the guy comes in seconds. Now, that's film economy, but it's also a matter of they're arguing in the early part of the movie with Desi. She's arguing with him. And then the fucking happens and it takes maybe 20 seconds, if not less. But the scene with Bobby Budokan takes a lot longer and it develops a lot longer. But I just don't really buy that a woman who's not a lesbian would be into it the same way. I also didn't necessarily buy that quick romantic turn, mostly because everything we saw between the two of them was either professional or friendly. But there was never, that I caught anyway, any subtext of romantic involvement or interest on either of their behalves. Until it happened. Until it happened. So it felt a little jarring, a little quick. I think you need a moment from Bobby or Budokan or whatever her name was. Hey, you sure about this? Or how are you feeling? Because leaving aside the sexual preferences of the two of them, if Bobby knows anything about Jackie, she's aware that she's an emotionally damaged person at this point, Mm. right? So I think you absolutely hit the nail on the head when you said it came across, at least to me, Jackie was doing this possibly because this was the first person that was just being legitimately and wholeheartedly kind to her and maybe her entire adult life, maybe her whole life for all we know. And this was just the only way she could think of to express her gratitude and the strong emotions she felt about that. But I think the way Bobby is portrayed is somebody who has experienced something similar to what Jackie is experiencing now. One of the good things about this movie, incidentally, that I did really enjoy was her performance. And I think she's excellent. Yeah. I want to see more from her. There was a lot of effective economy in the way her story and her character was built out. We're introduced to her in a kind of weird way with Jackie weirdly peeping above the stairs to watch her meditate for a bit, which Mm -hmm. is an odd introduction. Mm -hmm. 
But eventually, there's some really good moments with the Bobby character, right? Where Jackie says to her at one point, you've got it all together or whatever. And she says, why do you think I meditate? Or why do you think I do that? (laughs) Nobody makes the choice to do that if they've got it all together because she's obviously had her shit in her past. She's an alcoholic too. Maybe. and she. Well, no, she goes in that binge. I think the movie suggests that. Oh, that's right. I think she does say, actually, that she was on the wagon. I mean, that's one thing I did like, actually. We don't see what she did. We just see the results of it. She grabs the bottle. The next time we see her... She's banged up. Yeah. She's in a sling and she's got cuts in her head. So, yeah, she's got stuff in her history. She's overcome it. She's found a way to sort of maintain a structured life existence through meditation or whatever. So she's like Jackie, hopefully, in five years, once Jackie's come to that same realization in place. But because Bobby is portrayed as such an emotionally stable and emotionally intelligent person in this movie... That's why I want her to sort of have just that quick conversation with Jackie to say, hey, are you okay? Are you sure about this? Is this something you want? And I think it would have fit very much with what the character in this movie is. You know what's funny about a sex scene like that? Let's see one of these sports movies or even one of these bro movies that aren't even sports films Mm. where the guys are clearly in love with each other. There's been jokes made about those kinds of films, Lethal Weapon pairing, you know, that kind of buddy cop thing. They're not actually in love with each other, but we like to have fun with that. But let's see a movie where they do what these two do. They're not gay either, but in the moment, you're being tender with me. I'm being tender with you. I never touched a dick before, but let me try it with you because I think you're awesome. And then maybe it doesn't work out because, of course, Jackie does rebuff her and that's why Bobby goes on the bender. We'll never see the guys do it probably in any kind of major movie, especially a sports film, a macho kind of film, but we should because we've seen guys have this, you're the man, you're the man, you're the man, you're the man stuff over and over and over again. It's almost been a more believable progression for them to fuck than it was for these two good-looking women to fuck. That would be an interesting evolution for Hollywood to take. I just tend to agree with you. For some reason, that seems to be a bridge too far, at least, like you said, in this genre, where it's not meant to be shocking in like a broke-back mountain barrier-breaking way, right? I know there's more now, but still very few openly gay athletes in professional team sports. Right. And to a certain extent, you can kind of understand that, not excuse it, but at least understand it, because if you're in one of those locker room team atmospheres with large groups of guys, you can probably be reasonably certain that some of them would not be comfortable with an openly gay individual in the locker room, Mm -hmm. and you want to put yourself in that situation. As horrible as that is to understand to be the case, I still think it is in 2022. What I wonder is, does the same stigma apply to non-team sports? I'm not aware of any openly gay MMA fighters, but we don't follow the sport particularly closely. So maybe there are some and they're just not prominent enough that I've become aware of them. Tennis is another one you could be that Tennis, way. yeah, exactly. Because it's not a team sport. What if they made this movie, say Warrior 2, mm. two male MMA fighters or a male MMA fighter and his trainer and then a similar plot line? Could that happen? There's no reason it can't, of course. And it would be cool to see because it would be so out of the norm for Hollywood. Is there a real life precedent for it? Not that there has to be. I think if they'd made it, or if Halle Berry, the director, had made it more believable that she was falling in love with Bobby right back, then that scene would have meant more. I think maybe the other argument here for her is that she can't commit to anybody, probably, even if it's somebody that would be good for her. But I think part of it is, I'm not a lesbian. And you are. If you want to tell me in this movie that Halle Berry wants to have a one night stand with her trainer lesbian or otherwise just because of the feeling she's having i'm willing to buy that it fits her character broadly like for the reason just said she's not ready to commit generally this is the first person that's been kind to her awesome but give us a reason to believe this is what she's feeling and this is what bobby is feeling it does feel like it comes out of nowhere yeah 
there have been very few really good sex moments in our movies. Even when there have been things like in Slapshot, Melinda Dillon and Paul Newman have been boning for a while, I guess, and she's topless in bed. But in that podcast, we talked about how that's actually a really sweet scene. I'm not staring at her boobs. I like the moment that they have in there. I think she talks about how she has feelings for another woman, and she asks him if he has feelings for other guys. That's she right. says, nah, not my thing. He's not, fuck that. I ain't fucking gay. He doesn't do anything like that. So that movie was surprisingly ahead of its time in the late 70s. We weren't huge fans of Slapshot, but that's an actually progressive sexual movie, at least in that scene. I can't disagree with the shooting of the sex scene or the innate attractiveness of Halle Berry, but there was something about the nonstop emotional duress of this movie that put a damper on any scorability. And it's over two hours of it, too, so it's a lot. it's, it's a lot. Well, Sheila Atim is a stage actress, mostly, She's only been in six movies. She will be in Zemeckis' Pinocchio, which is supposed to come out this September, but God knows, it might get pushed back. Although I think we're getting to normal now, so maybe that'll actually be the release date. I guess it's Aiden or Adan, A-D-A-N, Canto. He is Desi. He was in X-Men Days of Future Past with Halle Berry. Stephen McKinley Henderson, who plays the trainer, who's actually got far more scenes in the last maybe 25, 30 minutes than he does through the other training scenes. He's the Duke of this movie. In a way, yes. Yeah. Right. He was in Fences with Denzel. He's his best buddy, which has a baseball theme. So maybe we'll stretch out and cover that one at some point, branch out. And he was in Dune last year, but not really any sports That's films. That's where I saw him recently. I couldn't put the face He's an older actor who's getting yeah. a lot of roles the last couple of years, yeah, because Fences is only about six years ago. Adrian or Adrian Lennox, who's the mother, Angel, was in The Blind Side. We've mentioned the character, her relationship with Jackie a lot. I do have to say, as much as I disagree with some of the screenwriting choices for Angel, I thought the performance that this actor gave as the mother was pretty darn good. It was negative and impactful when appropriate, but at certain moments, like when she's supposed to be on a little bit of a drinking binge and happy-go-lucky, I got a date Mm -hmm. kind of stuff, she really gives in to that portrayal. I think Barry, Atim, and Lennox are the strengths of this movie. So the mother, the daughter, well, the main character is the daughter, and then eventually the lover are the three strong points. I think Canto's pretty good, though, as Desi, and Henderson's solid as Pops. Okay, there you go. Immaculate is played by Shamir Anderson, who's in Race, which is about Jesse Owens, and he will be in John Wick 4. When we talked about the depiction of the sport, I think it's better than you did. We talked about the scorability factor a lot a few minutes ago. My score... I would give it a six. It's almost a thumb up. I think this movie with some editing and maybe a little bit more direction from the producers, if you will, to their director could have made this a very solid, good movie, more like a seven, seven and a half. But I'll give it a six and you'll give it a probably a four or so that low. Okay. I do wonder, to be honest with you, how much is down to the fact that Halle Berry is a first time director. And I don't know to what extent there was any more experienced hand giving her suggestions or oversight. If you're, I think, more experienced director, you can make some decisions about cutting elements of the screenplay that felt bloaty. But I think with a screenplay that I was more in favor of, I could definitely see this being like a six or a seven at least, for sure, because there's the core of what I can see is the intention here. I might have come across pretty negative with the depiction of the sport. I didn't think it was bad by any stretch of the imagination. I thought Mm -hmm. it was largely pretty good. I just think something like Warrior, for instance, did it a little bit better. Oh, a lot better. Yeah. There was a viciousness to the way Tom Hardy was portrayed as a fighter in that movie that may not have been accurate. I don't know it well enough, but man, from a filmmaking perspective, I thought it came across really well. I think about half that movie was that tournament in Atlantic City also. that's right, yeah. Literally, because I remember saying to you in that podcast, wait a minute, I looked at the time, I think I paused to go to the washroom or something, and there's half the movie to go, but they're going to Atlantic City, and that's because most of it is fighting. There are some scenes with Nick Nolte and the boys, granted. And there's a lot in this, too, but it's just at the end, mostly. And I thought it was better than you did, I guess. And by the way, the budget was $11 million, which is not very much for a modern film. 
No. And to make, seemed like a lot of it on location. I would have to assume that Halle Berry decided to take on the role at a very minimal salary in exchange probably. for she probably didn't a, a lot of oversight. She probably took back end points in case there was anything like that. And it was a passion project for her. So I have two questions for you, specifically about the final match. First, and very importantly, what did you think of the ring announcer's signature phrase? What was it? Let's get it on! Yeah, that's like a less good, let's get ready to rumble! That's probably what they were going for. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) I see what you're going for, but okay. But what did you think about the fact that Halle Berry's character could just literally run away from the sport for four to six years and come right back in with a title shot for some reason don't forget she's supposed to be a soup can for immaculate he's handpicking her yes and i will do the thing <laughs> the finger thing <laughs> the means money. the taxes or at least the money yeah. because they see money in the fact that she was 10 and 0 well 10 and 1 i guess and this is an up and come well, on an up and comer she's a champion yeah, but that's why that's i think they're seeing that it's a comeback story hollywood america the world loves a comeback story So I think that that made some sense. I could see that happening. No, absolutely. I just had a hard time reconciling the fact that she had a legit chance at winning the title versus, I mean, the ring with the champ for pay-per-view dollars. And also we're watching an actress who's in her 50s do this, and she's pretty believable at the training, and I think even more so than you did at the fighting itself. But she's supposed to be, even if she's 30, then that's not exactly young for an MMA fighter who hasn't done it in four years, despite the hard training. She may be ready to fly now, but can she fly now? (laughs) I'm not saying that it's entirely believable. Halle Berry is 55 now. I am flabbergasted, impressed, strictly from the perspective of getting in shape and looking like she belonged to any extent with a legit MMA fighter in this movie. Like you said, even if she was 35, that's a tough ask. So to do it at 55, she was in incredible shape for it. And she's got that Dorian Gray painting in the attic. Because she, <laughs> I think, looks better now than she was when she was 25 or 30. You look at her in the early to mid-90s, she's, I think, prettier and sexier now. And she's never been my ideal, but wow, is she a pretty woman. Even in this movie where she looks beat up and bruised. (laughs) All right, in two weeks, leading into the Indianapolis 500 on May the 29th, we'll talk about Ron Howard's acclaimed racing movie, Rush. It may be acclaimed, but it wasn't exactly a box office hit. But you look on IMDb, you look in other places, people liked it quite a bit. It just didn't get the audience. We're on Twitter. I'm at MovieFiend51. Chris is at ScoringAtMovies. You can email us, ScoringAtTheMovies at gmail.com. So take your easy, big, and thank you for tying my shoes. It's for the last time, Ryan. You have to learn to time yourself. (laughs) 